This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hello, we are off the ball uh, with myself, Cam Raslan, and uh, unfortunately we've got three very miserable pundits today, uh, but, but they've promised to be professional. Arvin Sidhu. Hello, everyone. Football, yeah? That's why it does seem. <laughs> Arvin Sidhu, uh, Leeds United fan. And we have two Manchester United fans who are, okay, we can allow them to be miserable, but they've got to buck up. Uh, we've got Kishan and Sundaresan. You know how miserable I am, Cam? I've actually been watching a lot of basketball these days, just to take my head <laughs> off the game. <laughs> yeah, that's tragic. And we have Sean Maholtra. Hey everyone, it's more interesting watching futsal players down in my apartment. <laughs> okay, come on, people. All right, let's pull yourselves together. Because today we're going to be doing, uh, we'll be looking at Premier League, the battle for first stroke second, and then the battle for fourth or even third. And then uh, the chance for us to look at the relegation battle. And finally, at the end of the show, we're going to have a quick look at um, Serie A over in Italy, perhaps a little La Liga. And I want to ask a question about Bundesliga. So um, let's begin with the, the title race, which I guess has come to an end. Arvin, uh, Liverpool won, Spurs won. I didn't feel like Liverpool did anything wrong. Were they just tired after their Champions League heroics or were Spurs closing them down too much? I think it's a bit of both. And you can see it because it happened to City after they were kind of bruised when they played Atletico Madrid in the Champions League and then they got knocked out by by Liverpool in the FA Cup. These kind of games, um, because they're so intense, it, it, it can kind of take its toll on you. Um, Liverpool obviously went into the Villarreal game as favourites, uh, but Villarreal got those two goals, if you remember. So... A little bit would have taken out, would have been taken out of them for that one, um, but take take nothing away from Spurs. I mean, it, it's an important point. It's a point that they needed in to keep that top four fight um, still alive. They're the only team that's that's not that's not lost to both either City or Liverpool this season. That's that says that says something really of what they're doing over there. Um, but I liked how Liverpool. I mean, Jurgen Klopp came out. There was no excuse for 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 tiredness. He he just basically said, "This is how difficult." the quadruple can be. And it's true because we talk about it so much, but to get there, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, and I thought what he said post the match is important for not just Liverpool players and himself, but fans as well. Do not treat the draw like a funeral because Liverpool fans have just been very quiet since that game and even more quiet after City got the win last night. So um, Liverpool were relentless in their pressing early on. They were dominating the ball. They made Spurs work for everything. But Spurs do what they do best. I mean, they, they kind of go on the other side of the pitch and then you've got good players like Son Heung-min that, that, that score, score the goals that they need to. So it's a blow in the, in, in the title race, but I still expect some twists and turns to come. So um, advantage City for now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Keish, I uh, you know... Uh... What position is Harry Kane in? What what's his best position? I, he, I don't know. It's it, sometimes I think when he pulls back, it's like this is genius, this is fantastic, and then then when he's back, it's like what the hell is he doing back there? Um, I I remember doing doing a show I think about last year uh, when he was playing under Jose Mourinho. There's an evolution to Harry Kane as a player, uh, and I think it's partially been fueled by an unpleasant reality, which is the fact that. Over the last um, six, seven years, 
he's had a, a bunch of injuries, and uh, and and uh, most of them were Achilles injuries, were injuries to to the back of his to back of his foot. And if you notice, Hurricane over the years, even even when he was uh, just bursting into the scene with Spurs and starting to score goals consistently. One of the strongest things about Harry Kane was his ability to hold the ball up front and then turn and have that extra burst of pace that would give him the edge over defenders. Uh, but when you consistently have ankle injuries, that kind of slows you down and it takes away that, in a, that, that ability to have that burst of pace. Um, pretty much it, it takes it away because when you have frequent ankle injuries over the years, you lose that. Um, and, and he's had to re, reinvent himself um, to so to speak, and I think Jose Mourinho has played a part in it. I think Jose was one of those guys who came to Spurs and realized, hey, look, Harry can't play the way he used to, and you 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 need to make the best out of him in a different way, and that involves Harry Kane dropping a bit deeper. That involves Harry Kane um, not so much relying on that burst of pace, but rather his creativity, um, putting himself in the best position possible to then shoot the ball directly at goal. So you're seeing a a more refined, a more matured version of Harry Kane in the last two and a half years. And obviously, when he first started out, he has had to work on it a bit more. And now, you're looking at a guy who's so comfortable in the role. So, he can drop deep, he can get the ball, he can he can pick out passes for Son Heung-min. But at the same time, he can be up front, um, he can find himself in position where he needs to shoot and score goals, and he's able to do that as well. So... This is a hurricane that has lost that burst of pace, in my opinion. But it's it's something that has turned him into a more complete, into a more all-rounded, a more wholesome footballer on the pitch. And it's it's genuinely a, a, a positive thing to see. Really, you even as a neutral, you can genuinely enjoy his performance. Mm, okay. Yes. Correct. Uh, Keish. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's go to um, the. Uh, other team at the top, and uh, Sean, the noisy neighbours. I'm not quite sure which ones are the noisy neighbours now. It's City. Uh, it's City. It will always it, be City. It will always be City. Is uh-huh. it okay? So Manchester City five, Newcastle nil. This was supposed to be the potential banana skin in the um, lead up to the end of the season. It did not prove to be that. They came really bouncing back from their Champions League defeat. Um. I don't know what 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 do we say about Manchester City now? I'd say domestically you have to always look at Man City as a team that will deliver when they need to deliver kind of thing. They've just come off I would say maybe Pep's toughest time. I'd say it was a more painful loss than the loss in the Champions League final against Chelsea. Big enough because they had it against Madrid. It looked like they were through. It looked like they were going to win and yet make another final. So you saw Pep's demeanor change the minute they lost that semi-final, he looked out of it, looked miserable. The players looked miserable. So they needed a big bounce back. And I think, you know, personally, I thought Newcastle would put up a bit more of a fight. They had one good chance in the beginning of the game, and that was it. But you saw City just completely dominate from start to finish at, the, at that point. That was the perfect bounce back they needed going forward. And you already see Liverpool drop points, and this is the perfect time to pick up that, that, that lead, you know. Even three points it may not seem huge right now with still four games to play, but for them, three points is still a gap that they can work on. And they've also extended their goal difference. City, I think now the driver's seat, they have a tough run-in, you know, with the likes of Wolves and West Ham coming up. But they're there. They're, they're, this is all they have to play for now. They are the FA Cup, they are the Champions League, you know, didn't win the League Cup. This is all they got. 
And if they don't win the league, I think it would be Pep's worst season as a City manager. Even though when he first came in, he only got third. But this would still be terrible, you know, in all things considered. So 5-0, it's a, it's a great way to bounce back after getting knocked out of Europe. Hey, Arvin, you're a, a Real Madrid fan as well. There are, there are teams and clubs that, which are really set up to win leagues, I think, anyway, and those that, that win cups. And perhaps City just are not built to win a cup. I think it, I mean, it comes to, I think, winning in the Champions League, um, at that stage of the tournament, a lot of it comes down to the mentality of players. I mean, the mentality of players, the experience that you've had. This is a Real Madrid squad who this season are just playing magical nights in Europe. I can't remember the last time I've seen a team do what they've done round after round after round in the manner that they've done. And in each round, the other team was a favourite. So for City, I just feel that they they knew in that first leg that they could have battered Madrid by more than the score that they did. It was 4-3, but they could have won more than that. They knew that. And going into the second leg, it, it was a sense that the moment Madrid got the the first goal, you could send City saying that, okay, we know the script. We know what's going to happen. But even as, as an optimistic Madrid fan as I am, I thought it was too late. But Madrid still did it. Mm. And that extra time is kind of a formality. So I think with, with City, kind of the, the experience, the, the mindset, that, that really delivering at that top-tier level, and the players haven't haven't had that experience. The, the Madrid team were filled with players that have done it before. So I, I, I predicted City to be in the final. I think Kish did as well because I felt that they would make they would go one more step ahead when compared to when they lost. But this is a step back. But next season they'll be there and thereabouts again, Cam. They will be. Uh, will they? Will Pep be there? I predict that he's going to get the sack. Anyway, we move on. Uh, no, he's not. But I think you know. I want to put that out there, start the rumour. It started here. So uh, in a moment, though, we're going to be talking about the, the big one, and you should see the looks on these people's faces. When we're, going to, we're going to talk about Manchester United here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. Captain, leader, legend. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back, Off the Ball, and now Kishnan. An amazing result. It was Manchester United 4, Brighton 0. Oh, no. No, no, it's the other way around. Um, <laughs> you know, just when I, just when you think that Manchester United, you've seen the worst Manchester United performance, they somehow managed to, to pull off an even worse, worse performance. Um, what, 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 Keish? What is it really surprising, though? I mean, is it really surprising? It, it isn't at this point. It really isn't. Um, it's. It's, it's a squad that over the years, uh, for example, Jose Mourinho himself continues to say that taking this United to second place um, is probably one of his best achievements in his career because people don't know what happens behind the scenes, um, the toxicity that exists within the dressing room. But, but I'm going to put all of that aside because a lot of that has been talked about widely. We know it. We have spoken about it on previous episodes at length as well. But I just want to point out that in, in the same week that Man United got smashed 4-0 by Brighton, um, there were two very important things to, to take into consideration. First is, um, this is the same week in which Eduardo Camavinga put on a starting performance for Real Madrid, um, a player that United uh, were linked with a player that United was supposedly looking to sign for about 30 million euros, but also a player that apparently internally within the team, individuals like Mike Phelan uh, at the beginning of the season said that uh, he 
he's probably not going to get a game um, for Man United. He's, he's not great yet. Uh, when you look at that kid coming on against uh, Man City and just completely changing the dimension of that match, extremely talented players who, at this stage, would probably be Man United's best midfielder when you look at the options that we have. But the, the other thing, and I'm not sure if I've mentioned this in previous episodes when we've spoken about Brighton, uh, but the guy that's caught uh, the first goal against Brighton, Moises Caicedo, now, Moises Caicedo is a player that United have monitored in the past. A player that was very much linked with United last January um, when his name was already massive in, in South American football because he, he his debut for the Ecuadorian national team was against Argentina and he did an exceptional job marking Lionel Messi at the age of like, what, 19 or 18? And so his stock was already super high in, in South American football. And the, the, the kid himself came out in multiple press conferences and said that he's the Man United fan, that his dream was to play for Man United in the future. He said that. The clip is going viral on social media now. And, 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 and I remember at that point wondering, why aren't we making a move? Because we don't have a holding midfielder. But in the end, we didn't make a move. Brighton did. Signed him for, for an incredibly minimal fee. And then they loaned him out to Belgium, you know, gave him time to settle down into, into European football. And now he's back in the Premier League, put on an incredible performance against Arsenal last month. And now he was the man of the match against Man United. Um, when you look at these two instances, Cam, and the reason I bring them up is it's to show how dysfunctional things are at Man United. Uh, not just in terms of, of, of uh, the ownership, but it's also in terms of your structure, recruitment, how you go about uh, building a squad at the moment. It's, it's, it's an absolute joke. And... And we deserve that that 4-0 defeat. It's a combination of so many different problems. And um, and that is why it's difficult to just look at Eric Ten Hag and be instantly optimistic because you know that Eric Ten Hag is just a small first piece of the puzzle and there's a lot more that needs to be addressed before things can get positive again. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want this to become the Manchester United show, but uh, it is, I guess, still remains the most popular team in Malaysia. Although those fans are getting a little bit older now, aren't they? Uh, but, uh, Sean, you know, Brighton were, were good, but they weren't that good. But that seems to be enough now. I, I, I disagree. I thought Brighton were great. Yeah, I, I thought Brighton uh, were great too. They were great. They outplayed United in every sense of football. The, the, the thing that I really focused on, and I think Kish talked about it earlier as well, your midfielders really control a game. And the two midfielders that controlled the game were... Caicedo or Saicedo and Basuma, they absolutely had United all over the place. They, Scott McTominay is not your go-to for holding midfielder. There were many instances in that game where he was left alone in the midfield. You could just take a wide shot and you see him alone in the entire midfield. There's no red players there. And the minute he got the ball, you saw like two, three players from Brighton just close him down. That's efficiency. Every sense of their game on the day was brilliant. Even the, the moments where... where their goalkeeper had to make uh, saves, Sanchez. He was quick and he made them look so simple. And when they went forward, it could have been five, it could have been six, it could have been seven. Welbeck could have scored. Um, uh, Cucurella was a danger down the left constantly. I think personally, Brighton was a team that's already on the up and this showed it. This is a team that knows what they're doing, that's drilled well, that's not afraid of anyone and they knew what United's weaknesses were, both down the left and right. Teles and Dalo were totally torn, torn, torn to pieces in this game. So I can't, I can't say that you know Brighton were not good. They were great. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and can, I, can I just add on to something that Sean said, which is 
Bisuma and um, Caicedo, right? And and it, it's you want to know how much of a joke it is at the moment. You look at Liverpool central midfield partnership. They've got Fabinho, Henderson, Nabiketa, all those options. You look at Spurs. You've got Hoybier and Bententer. You look at Arsenal. You've got Jaka. You've got Pate. You've got Sambi Lokonga. You look at Chelsea. You've got Kovacic, Kante. Um, you, you've even got Jorginho. You look at West Ham. You've got Suchek. You've got Declan Rice. Um, you and now you teams like Brighton are having better central midfield partnerships than Man United. And and it, it makes no sense that you went out and signed Jadon Sancho. You went out and signed Rafael Varane. You went out and signed you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, even though you scored 121 goals in all competitions last year um, without him. But you still went ahead and signed him anyway this season. Um, but your central midfield partnership is Scott McTominay um, and Nemanja Matic or Fred. I mean, it, it makes no sense. But, and and, and we're, we're paying for it now. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Okay, I hope that uh, Kishnan and Sean have got it off their chest now. I hope, I hope that they've, they've worked through something. They had a chance to say it out loud. Because uh, now we're going to look at um, it's uh, Arsenal 2, Leeds 1. Now, Arvin, we're going to talk more about Leeds, I think, a little bit later on. We talk more relegation. But let's, let's focus on Arsenal and, and give them their due. Um, they, they, were, they, were, they only scored two goals. They've had more though, especially in the first half. Um, I think Eddie Niketia is a is a late season revelation that they needed because of the lack of goals. We we were on the show a couple of weeks ago and we talked about how the goals have dried up, but Eddie Niketia has come on and he's now he's he's kind of got them crucial points because all they need to do now is they need to to win the North London derby and they're they're, they're fourth. That's all they need, need to do. So the, the the strength is very much with them. Uh, but Arsenal were good. Arsenal were very good in the first half. Obviously, Leeds created a lot of problems for themselves with the first goal and the sending off that they did. Uh, but take nothing away from Arsenal. I thought the first half that they were good. And typically when teams go into that lead, uh, you do have a sense where a little bit of complacency comes into it. You don't put your foot on the gas so much. Leeds had barely any chances on the goal. But when Laurenti scored for Leeds, which Leeds rarely ever do, which is called from a corner kick, that's when you sense Arsenal felt that, okay, something could happen here. We kind of need to be on top of our game. So I thought game management from Arsenal was very, very good last night. Uh, but they could have been more than two in the first half, at least. Yeah. Uh, wh- who, where, do we, where do we think that uh, the North London derby is going to go? Uh, all of you. Let's start with you, Keish. Who do you think? Is Spurs and Arsenal kind of, I mean, have they been so kind of equal for, I mean, how many years since like one has been so much more dominant than the other? It's, it's a very difficult one only because when you look at form, obviously, I, I would go with Arsenal any day. Um, I, I'm a big fan of everything that's happening at Arsenal at the moment. Um, you know, there, there's a bit of an identity to how things are being done. Love the fact that they announced Mikel Arteta's contract extension alongside the uh, manager of the women's team as well. It was a joint announcement. It was done really, really well. Um, and... and, and you, you look at their signings, everything is paying off. I, I remember early in the season, people were making fun of the fact that Ben White was more expensive than Rafael Varane. People were making fun of the fact that they were signing a goalkeeper from Bournemouth as opposed to picking someone up from a more credible team. Uh, but, but, but you look at the signings, everyone has, has just been exceptional, um, including someone like uh, Tomiyasu at the back, uh, who, in my opinion, is probably one of the best players in the Premier League when it comes to defenders at the moment. I absolutely love him for a bit. So, it's it's easy to say on form Arsenal, but like Spurs have shown you, um, whilst they do not have consistency just yet, 
but they've got capacity to step it up in individual games. They did it against Man City, um, beat them. Uh, they did it against Liverpool as well. Um, you know, just completely set back and 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 hit hit Liverpool on the counter. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they shape up against Arsenal, though, because um, I, I don't know if Conte is going to get the team to be very conservative and, and try and hit Arsenal on the counter. It remains to be seen how they play, uh, but this will be a very, very close one. I'm, my, I, I'm still itching to, to say Arsenal, but I think even if it's Arsenal, it'll be a very slim victory. Kishnan on the fence again. Uh, all right. Uh, very quickly, uh, Arvin, who, who do you favour for the, for the North London derby? I don't see Arsenal winning that. Uh, I see it's either a draw or Spurs will win it. But in the long run, I see Arsenal getting that top four spot. Okay, Sean, I, I'm going to ask you now to look at... Uh, but I'll ask you also to, to give your prediction for the North London derby. But the Chelsea 2, Wolves 2, very strange. Very strange match to me. Uh, Chelsea just... All the goals came second half. Chelsea, but Chelsea really had it. And then suddenly Wolves come back. Um what's going on with Chelsea? It's strange. At one point, you know, they were performing well. They reached the League Cup final, lost it, got quite far in the Champions League and were doing well. Now they're in an FA Cup final, but somehow, somewhere, everything has suddenly slowed down. Individual errors are what's leading to, to their demise. It's not like, a, you know, they've been outclassed by another team and lost kind of thing. It's it's individual mistakes from players who are very experienced, like Jorginho or even Kante. These are players you don't expect to make mistakes. They normally control the games for you. And what seemed like a certainty of you know European football next season and Champions League may not entirely be a certainty anymore. If let's say, like I, I believe that you know Arsenal will beat Spurs and eventually get the Champions League spot, but there is no guarantee that. Chelsea may stay in the top four. Yeah. It's it's individual mistakes. And I, I think I said this to a few of my friends. You have players who are may not be there at Chelsea next season. This uncertainty that's growing over the entire club. Players like Cesar Spiliqueta, Marcus Alonso, Christian Pulisic, Romero Lukaku. No one knows what's going to happen with him. And that's not great for a team. Yes, he scored two goals against Wolves, especially his second goal was really, really good. But... You don't, these things surrounding your club is not great. But the mistakes they made against Wolves is just the culmination of everything that's been happening the last few weeks. Mistakes after mistakes after mistakes, individual mistakes. And take nothing away from Wolves. They deserved at least a point from that game. The last five minutes of the game was spectacular. Mm. It was, it was. Hey, uh, very quickly, um, Keish, I think you've, you said the sale, the sale of Chelsea's gone through. I hadn't heard that. I mean, there is a credible bit now. I think it's gone to the Premier League. It's got to go through the regulatory processes. Uh, the Premier League have got to evaluate um, the, the new bid and the ownership structure to see if it's going to pass through or not. If it does, it will only pass through probably late May. That's according to the statement at Chelsea. But I completely agree with Sean. I mean, all of this still creates that cloud of uncertainty. And I think uh, it's taking a toll on the Chelsea player more uh, than we think it is. Yeah, and uh, I do believe uh, is it Venus Williams is going to be uh, one of the uh, joint owners or something. I read that somewhere. No one's agreeing with me. It must have been fake news. Yeah. No, <laughs> okay. Or maybe I just dreamt it. Okay. In a moment, we're going to be talking relegation fight, and, and I'll be looking at you. Won't see his sad face, but uh, Arvin will tell us about Leeds here on Off the Ball BFM eighty nine point nine. 
because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Off the Ball with myself, Cam Raslan, Arvin Sidhu, Sean Malhotra, and Kishnan Sundaresan. And now, Arvin, uh, your team, Leeds United, we uh, talked briefly about the Arsenal match, and they have <clears throat> Leeds have got upcoming a match against Chelsea. Uh, but Leeds' situation just a few weeks ago was looking not too bad, but now it looks like, well, it, it looks like they're going to get relegated. Yeah, on current form, they are. Um, it's the first time Leeds have been in the relegation zone for the season, so it's very key to see how they they kind of adjust to that or get themselves out of it. You've had other teams that have been in it and have come out of it, Burnley, Everton. Leeds are right now in the 18th spot right now, and it's due a lot to their inferior goal difference where they were conceding a lot of goals during Marcelo Bielsa's end of his reign. Um, but besides results, you also see things that happen towards the end of the season, and when certain things happen, you just have a sense that that impending doom is going to come because losing Stuart Dallas for the entire season is a huge blow because he's an absolute warrior and stalwart of that team. Luke Ailing, unnecessarily because of frustration, getting himself sent off and being banned for the rest of the season is not helpful. You've got Patrick Bamford that's coming back next week, but someone who's had hardly any game time on the pitch itself. You've had Rafina, whose head looks to have turned because he realises that if Leeds go down, it'll be an easier move for him to move out of Leeds. And you've even got Calvin Phillips as well, who looks like he's kind of lost a little bit of that fight in him. So, so so, it's a straight fight, in my opinion, right now between Leeds and Burnley. Um, both have got tricky fixtures, but Leeds have got a huge game against Chelsea because after that, Brighton's been the, the bogey team for Leeds and Brentford are flying at this moment in time. So Jesse March... Um, did really well. I, I won't. I won't obtain any of this blame to Jesse March because he came and he get that new new manager bounce that Leeds needed. But this situation that we find ourselves in is a combination of two things. One is because of the early season, mid season, when we were conceding a lot of goals, a lot of losses, not having a striker that can put the ball into the back of the net, and thirdly, the Burnley resurgence. No one saw Burnley get the points that they did, but they have. Now it's really a question if. Burnley can pick up more because Leeds can lose all their games in the season. Burnley can lose all their games. Burnley will still stay up. So it's it's really tricky right now. Um, Jesse March has got a huge task to keep us in the Premier League, in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're going to start having to get VPN and, and find out all those funny websites where you can watch championship matches. I'll, I'll be watching it through someone's uh, living room. That's what we used to do. So Facebook group, someone will put it in their living room. So we'll be watching from our screen into their living room. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> tough right. times. Tough so it's all worked out. The, the yeah. system's all up and running already. Yeah. Okay, great. So let, let's let's look at the, the, the other. Well, Leicester 1, Everton 2. And I've said all along that Frank Lampard is the greatest football manager of all time. And uh, and he's proven to be so. But I also felt when I was watching this match, I'm looking into the future. Because Leicester, next season, I think, are going to be in relegation trouble. They've had a really strange end of season here. So, uh, Kishnan, you, um, did, did you see uh, Everton turning around? Are they safe? I mean, the, 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 the tricky one, the crucial one for Everton was that 1-0 win over Chelsea. Um, I think that that was the victory that they really, really needed to put themselves back in the right spot. Because if you look at their, at their fixtures, that win, over, that win over Chelsea, prior to that, they had lost to Liverpool despite playing quite well. Uh, they, they drew to Leicester prior to that as well. And before that, they beat Man United. The 1-0 win over Man United, the draw against Leicester helped. But the one against Chelsea... 
Des Cockhill has been beating around and around about the atmosphere at Goodison Park for years. And you saw that against Chelsea. Um, a, a colleague of mine who produced uh, the Premier League match um, for Astro Supersports, um, he was over at Goodison Park. And he's, he's someone who's been going over to England for years now to produce these games. And he said that the atmosphere between uh, Everton and Chelsea at Goodison Park was the best he has ever experienced in his, in his years of going to cover Premier League games. And that says a lot about, about Goodison Park. And I think that, that win over Chelsea was big. Beating Leicester was massive too. Uh, do I think it was a difficult one? No, because I think Leicester themselves have been ridiculously poor this season. Um, there, there, there's a lot to, to come in the summer window. I won't be surprised if Brendan Rodgers gets removed from his position. I know he's a, he's a fan favourite, but there's no excuses for how poor they've, they've performed this season. Some of the players will be looking to leave the club as well. So, for, as far as Everton are concerned, they're not safe yet, but they're two big ones. The two big ones is, actually three big ones, really. You put aside their final game against Arsenal, um, but you, there's two big ones in the sense where they've got two home fixtures against Brentford and Palace, uh, and you know at Goodison Park, those two will be the ones to be looking to win. And they've got, in midweek, coming up, uh, a game against Watford, who have already been relegated. So I've it, it could end up being an easy one as well because Watford have nothing to play for at the moment. So earlier, prior to this, if you had asked me three weeks ago, I would have told you that Everton were probably favourites to go down. But after that win against Chelsea, now it seems like they're, they're probably going to be safe. Yeah, yeah. Sean, do you agree with me that um, Leicester are going to be in trouble next year? It's going to be a major overhaul there. I mean, Jamie Vardy is now 73 he he can't keep running. <laughs> um, it's been a really poor end of season. It's strange because that's pretty much how they've been the whole season. It's just progressively been getting worse. And I can't pinpoint what it could be. I, I In the initial thoughts I had was like, oh, you know, they had injuries to their defense. You know, Jamie Vardy was in and out of the team. But you can't keep looking at that. They've got a fully fit defense again. But they just look out of sorts. I think there are certain players in that team, the likes of Ndidi or James Madison, Iannaccio. So many of those players are really gifted at what they do, but their heads may be turned at like every opportunity when the summer comes by. You look at players like James Madison, who, you know, last summer had the opportunity to go to Arsenal, but that didn't happen. So maybe his head's turned as well. I don't know if it's a managerial issue, because Brendan Rodgers has brought out the best in this Leicester team. Winning the FA Cup last season is, is no small achievement. This is a huge 180 in that sense. Do I think Brendan Rodgers will stay on next season and, and bring the club back up? Based off this form, I don't think they'll get relegated. But I think they're going to lose a lot of their best players if this keeps happening. It's a shame because um, when, they're, when they're good, they're one of the most exciting teams. Mm-hmm. So, Arvin, uh, we've already kind of mentioned Burnley already. Burnley won Aston Villa three. Um, Actually, what really struck me was that uh, one, this uh, Burnley run maybe was a bit bit, bit of (laughs) overexcitement, but that um, Gerrard's finally got got a result. He's sort of turned things around. That was pretty emphatic from uh, Aston Villa. It's really down to the attacking uh, onuses on both teams. You can see that with, with Villa, Burnley had a lot of possession in the game. They had quite a lot of the gameplay as well, but when, you, when you're up against better players like Emilio Bundia, better players like Ollie Watkins who know how to put the ball in the back of the net, that's all Villa needed. Um, but for Burnley, 
um, as much as I feel that they've got a slight edge over Leeds at this moment in time, the one big blow that they've had is James Tarkovsky. If he's out for the last couple of games of the season, that's a huge blow for Burnley because their form, whenever it picked up, was always because Tarkovsky was in in, in defence. He was commanding things. He was he was shutting up shop. He's an absolute leader for them. So not having him could be a huge blow for them. Uh, I was quite surprised that Maxwell Cornet started on the bench for that one because when he came on, he did what he did. So that was a bit of a surprise for me. But for when I looked at this game, and obviously I was I was the biggest Aston Villa fan during that game. For me, it was just down to the fact that Villa had better attackers. They had players that knew how to put the ball in the back of the net. And Burnley, Sean Dyche's time, Mark Jackson's time, that's always been a challenge for them, which is scoring goals. So it's we're going to see who's the worst of the two between Burnley and Leeds for that last spot. Okay, very quickly, three of you. Who's going to be the worst of the two? Which which team's going to go down? Keish? Um, I'm, I'm going to tip Leeds to stay up. And Sean? I'll, I'll go with Keish as well. I think Leeds will, will just, just nick it at the end of the day. Okay, and then Alvin? Leeds to stay up. Because if they don't, I'll go in hiding for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so in a moment, though, we're going to go, we're going to leave the shores of England and we're going to look at uh, some European leagues as they start to wrap up and come to the end here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time, but coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Off the Ball. And now we're going to take a trip to um, sunny Italy, where the it's one of the leagues where there is a title fight still on. It's between AC Milan and Inter Milan, or Inter Milano. Uh, and yet, to me, what also has been of interest is the disappearance of Juventus, who were just uh, winning everything and then suddenly just disappeared. Kishinan, what, what, what's happening in, in Italy and, um, and what happened to Juventus? What's happening in Italy is probably one of the most exciting title races in the Serie A that we've seen in years. Um, for years, Serie A has been dubbed um, a, a, a mini farmer's league because of Juventus, uh, their, their shared dominance over the other teams. But the two teams from Milan this season are giving us a bit of nostalgia with that intense title fight as well. And it wouldn't have been a title fight until about maybe two or three months ago. Because at one point, it looked like um, uh, Milan was super comfortable. I think Napoli were the team that looked like, um, you know, more realistically able to challenge them. But eventually, Inter Milan came back into the fold. Um, and, and I've got a lot of love for Inter Milan, honestly. Because um, when they lost Antonio Conte, they lost Romulo Lukaku, who was their top scorer. They also lost arguably the best right back in world football at the moment, Ashraf Hakimi, to PSG. Um Everybody thought that was the end, that this inter side is going to begin to crumble. Uh, when Simone Inzaghi came in, I mean, everybody knows Simone Inzaghi was a great player, but he doesn't exactly have the most glorious reputation as a manager compared to, for example, someone like Antonio Conte, right? So I think nobody gave them a chance. Everybody thought Inter Milan would you know, struggle a little bit, maybe still make it into the top four because of the quality of players that they still had at the club. Uh, but to see them still pushing AC Milan right at the end of this division has been, it's been incredible, really. Uh, from AC Milan's point of view, though, um, this has also been a, a really strong season, a season where a lot of work um, has had to be put in over the years, and especially in the last, I would say, 18 to 24 months, because with Paolo Maldini in the sporting director's position, one of the main things he has had to done is significantly um, reduce the wages 
uh, the wage structure of the club to be able to make signings that fit the profile of the club. I think that's the, the, the one big thing that has happened at Milan that I absolutely love is this realization internally that we're no longer the European giant that we once were and we need to stop behaving like we're still that European giant. I mean, from point of view of reputation, they still are, but from point of view of, of structure, performances, they no longer were. And that realization internally helped them restructure the club and make the kind of signings that they needed to make um, without bursting the budget to be able to compete again. And, and I love that. You look at some of the signings that AC Milan have made in the last 18 to 24 months. They've been brilliant. And a lot of them, I guarantee you, Cam, in the next two years, will either achieve bigger things with Milan or will leave and join bigger clubs across Europe because they're, they're all great players at the club. And, and it's doing really well for them. At are the these are great Italian players? Um, Not necessarily. Uh, I think that's the one of the good things about AC Milan, right? Because one of the things that they, that they have been able to do is to go out and pluck players outside outside of just Italy. I think, for example, Mike Mainian, the player that they signed from the French League, uh, um, he's probably been one of the best goalkeepers in Europe this season. An upgrade over Donnarumma, who you know left Milan for free to join PSG last year. You look at Simon Kier. I mean, he's been mainly injured this year, but he's been the captain of... He's the captain of his inspirational uh, AC Milan side. Pio Hernandez at left-back is French. And they are probably their best centre-back this season is English, Fikayo Tomori, who they signed from, from Chelsea. Uh, in, in, in midfield, they've got uh, Ismail Benesse, who's from Algeria. They've got Frank Kessier, who's from Ivory Coast, who's going to join Barcelona. Brian Diaz from Spain. So it's a bit of a continental AC Milan side. Not like the Carlo Ancelotti team that was you know, very Italian. This is more of a continental side with Olivier Giroud up front, Zlatan Ibrahimovic up front. Um, they, they've got a Croatian striker in the form of uh, Ante Rebic as well, Rafa Leo from Portugal. Yes, so yes, it's a it's a continental AC Milan side that's got a lot of flavor. Um, it's a it's an absolute joy to watch. And purely from the point of view of romanticism, Cam, I hope AC Milan win the title. Okay, and uh, I, th- I believe it's neck and neck. They're they're equal on points right now. Uh, it's there's two points separating them at the moment with two games to go. Okay, so uh, let's go across now to sunny Spain, Arvin. You uh, follow Real Madrid, who absolutely dominated this season, and they've won. Um, I think a lot of Malaysian listeners would like to know also. Then, what what about what about Barcelona? Are they are they turning a corner? Will next season will 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 they? We're just going to see dominance from from Real Madrid from here on in. No, I, I believe Barcelona have kind of turned it around quite a bit since Xavi was appointed. Uh, you are seeing now how Joan Laporta's um, signings, he's been someone who's been very good in the transfer market. A couple of the buys that they've already lined up, the likes of Frank Cassie as well as uh, Christensen. I've kind of got a little bit of doubts about him at, at centre-back, but um, they, they're bringing another body in because they, they need to get that centre-back sorted at the back. And they're linked to other players as well. There, there's been talk that they're trying to get Lewandowski, if they can kind of keep him within the wage budget. But a lot of the mess that Barcelona had was down to uh, Bartomeu and the previous regime because they they literally as a Bas- as a Madrid fan I was very happy to see it but they came to a point where you felt that that was genuinely hurting the club it hurt the club tremendously what he did so they're on the way back Xavi is, is has kind of turned things around Xavi's got that winning mentality what I respect for Xavi is that he he could have taken this Barcelona job a couple of years ago and he said I'm not ready I'll come when I'm ready and now he looks like he he he's kind of slightly turning the the, the tide around but on the flip side, Madrid, 
have kind of gone slightly from strength to strength as well. When you look at, obviously, all of us think about the Casimiro's, the Cruz and the Modric. But when you look beneath that, the midfield that they have, the likes of Kamavinga and Valverde, those are set. That That's a set midfield for you for a couple of good years right there. Uh, and then Vinicius has had his best season ever. Rodrigo is coming to the fore as well. And what has really impressed me about Florentino Perez is that when they lost Sergio Ramos, they lost Rafael Varane. A lot of people said, you've lost the heart of that defence. What has he done? He's gone and got Alaba for free and he's potentially getting Antonio Rudiger in for free as well. So for me, that is just... We call him Papa Perez, but Papa Perez is just master strokes when it comes to this. I still think the Mbappe deal is a bit of a 50-50 right now by the way we hear things. But if Mbappe comes, Real will just go from strength to strength. And on the other side, Atletico, um, they started the season by trying to be, be a bit more attacking. And yeah. then they got hurt. And then they said, let's go back to our normal way of anti-football. Absolutely. And that's where I... they are right now. But they, they, they'll make where they need to be in the top four as well. But Barcelona will be second, but they will pose a bigger challenge to Madrid next season in my opinion. Ah. Do you speak Spanish? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you have, you have been to see them, Real Madrid play, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I have. Yes, I have. Right, right. Okay, so uh, now we go to our Bundesliga correspondent, Sean Maholtra. <laughs> he had no idea that he was. No, I want to put forward uh, uh, something to to you people. Bundesliga uh, is um, it's. I, I quite like Bundesliga. It's like watching English football, but a bit more boring. And but one of the things about it is um, they their league is um, eighteen teams, not twenty. And uh, something that was uh, pointed out by Matt Bellotti of this show once upon a time is that when you have eighteen teams, the possibility for a big team to disappear down to be relegated, it grows because they can't be bashing the likes of Watford and Norwich. And um, also it gives a chance for players to rest and the possibility for a genuine um, uh, winter break. And also another thing the Bundesliga does, which is quite interesting, is that the the third worst team, the 16th team, their play, they play a playoff against the third team in Bundesliga 2. Um, which is a really strange way to do it. So I'm wondering, Sean, would you would you favour uh, in the uh, Premier League taking it down to to 18 teams? And uh, because really, I mean, what have Norwich and Watford done? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I, I I think of it in the sense of if I was a supporter of one of these these clubs who are in the relegation zone, right? Which I hope I never am with United. The excitement is there. Yes, there's a fear of going down, but the, the excitement also of you know who's gonna stay up and who's gonna go down. I think if you look back maybe 10 years ago, 11 years ago, all three teams had the opportunity at the bottom to go back up and one could go down. It was it was a mix-up, and that's what football is all about. I, I think having a playoff and maybe coming up is interesting, you know, for some people in Germany, but in England, it's so, you're so used to the system of these three teams that could go down and these three teams from the championship could go up or League One and League Two. What's, if it's not broken, don't fix it, in my, in my opinion, at least. If it works in Germany, which it has for the last 14 years, and it's something they really enjoy doing, it's great because that builds up excitement and also TV money. But in the Premier League, I think, you know, the excitement of like trying to fight to stay up in the league is is great. That's what it should stay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Keish, I mean, too much football. No, Cam. There is no way the Premier League is going to reduce. Teams. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying they will. I know they listen to this show and, and they yeah. do take notes. <laughs> there is no way they will because of the amount of money they make. 
um, for you know via football games. Like in 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 Germany, it's it's very traditional, in a sense where you know simple example we've always spoken about the fifty plus one rule. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I like Bundesliga, but one of it is because it's very traditional. Uh, the fifty plus one rule gives uh, ownership uh, control to the fans. They're the majority owners. They get involved one way or another with a lot of the decision making that happens at the club. But beyond that, for example, um, timing of Bundesliga games will never be brought forward. You will never get an afternoon 12 p.m. kickoff because it's just not something that the Germans like. They always like to watch it with their families. They always like to watch it with their friends, preferably at night. So always going to get kickoffs that range from late evening to night. I mean, they're not going to change that to suit audiences in Asia, so to speak. They won't do that. Number one priority is the local traditional match-going fans. Uh, but also beyond that, they're also traditional in the sense where uh, they look at 18 teams, which equates to 34 games being the perfect amount for players if you're going to have a winter break. Mm. Uh, bear in mind that the Bundesliga is now just one game away from wrapping up the season. And they even had a pretty sizable, comfortable winter break. I think it was a two to three week winter break in January. So they don't want to cram up the fixtures. They don't want the schedule to be tight. Um, and they don't have two to three cups like we do in England as well. They've only got the DFB Pokal alongside the Bundesliga. And some teams who play in Europe have to play in Europe. But if you're not in Europe, you, you literally have 34 plus whatever DFB Pokal games that, that you want to play. And they, and, and they look at that and think that's a, a reasonable in, amount of games for footballers to play whilst having you know the, the necessary break that they deserve. And, and it's it's been something that they've held on to for years uh, in, in, in fact, initially it was 16 teams there, and then it was expanded to 18, I think, in the 70s or 80s. So it's a view that they've held for years, and um, and it's something that they're not going to change because they're very traditional. Premier League, on the other hand, driven by capitalism, I can see that there's no way they're going to shrink it ever. Okay, well, Arvin, are you with me? Are, are you going to join me in the march to... I don't know where we're going to march. Um, to, to to reduce the, the Premier League from 20 to 18 teams. And reduce the amount of football being played. Yeah, I would, because I think they should do it this season. I think the end of this season, <laughs> they should. But, but after a couple of games, up so that I'm completely wrong. No worries. So I think they should do it right now. That's okay. What a generous guy. Uh, <laughs> and on that, we end with Leeds staying up because the, the league has suddenly been chopped differently. Um, so I'd like to thank our uh, pundits, Kishan and Sundaresa. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the week. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, and uh, Sean Malhotra. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. I don't support Manchester United, but really, I want them to win so that these two guys can look a lot less glum. <laughs> <laughs> and Arvin Sudhu, I wish for your sake that uh, Leeds put uh, five past Chelsea. Thank you, Cam. Big, big, big couple of weeks. Go ahead. It's going to define the future of the club, not just this season, for, for many seasons to come. Okay, well, that's uh, Off the Ball, and our producer is Daryl Ong. And please join us on our Friday show. But for now, Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.